Yes, I am. Unbird. Let's uh, get this going. Hello and welcome to Maiden HZ. My name is Eric. And as always, Jonathan is here and we have a whole squadron with us today. Yeah, we got a, we got a yeah. full boat today. Yeah. Um, All the way over we, from Australia. Australia. Ben Webster, welcome here. Nice to have you here. Greetings, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And we also got a Hendrik in the house as well. Yep. Hi there. Important topic. We need a lot of knowledge today, I think. Yeah. So what are we in for? Now, what do we decide here? The early, the early days is, but yeah. is we just, yeah. That, um, that's a DVD release that most yeah. of you Maiden listeners are probably familiar with. Brilliant DVD. And uh, I think it was released quite a while back, right? 2005? Yeah. So it was around mm, the same yeah. time they did the early days uh, the tour, the, right? The tour, yeah. 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 And what we're going to try to do is we're not going to only touch on what's in the documentary. We're going to try and go further. That's why I brought a lot of help today. Yeah. To see how, how much we can find, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, because obviously this DVD, we can start on that, is a little bit designed in a PR type fashion, you know. They have yeah. left things out, right? Or what, are you gonna, what would you say on that, Henrik? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff left out. But then again, it would be, for it to be really comprehensive, it would have to be like 10 hours long. And they would have to bring in people that have never really been, been able to speak up for their own part and stuff like that so it's there's a lot of stuff going on if, if behind the facade if you want to go into it but i mean broadly speaking it's it's a great time uh, how do you say it? great tids document uh, yeah, yeah. Tids document, document exactly yeah, yeah. yeah it's a brilliant dvd i think mm. i watched it a dozen times and what about you ben uh, the early days dvd and early days in general glorious um and you this is this is my era so it's yeah pre-88 really for me and um when it came out i was at first day buyer i was like the the kid in disneyland yeah couldn't wait to finish work and get home and just you know luxuriate in the waters so mm-hmm. it, it's fant- absolutely fantastic. And it, it, as you say, it is a, a polished version of the, uh, their, their experience and their time frame, but it's unreal. It really is to watch, it, uh, watch a band develop and they get all that right, that narrative yeah. sort of thing right. So it's, I reckon it's one of the probably the best of its kind in that sort of sense to sort of... It's really good, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the history, we always ask the new guests, about the maiden history we have to do that now as well how did you get into the band did you waver in fanship over the years how did the fanship develop i i got into them when i was eight years old i heard them on a local like a, a melbourne radio station called eon fm back in the day 92.3 it was and i heard number of the beast and run to the hills they played them as like the new release it was like and I was listening with my dad's headphones on, on the good stereo. I had permission and literally being part horrified and scared. And then also, what is this music? This is the most awesome thing I've ever heard. And being eight years old, I had no money, no, you know, didn't know what to do about it. And my, I would ring these, tel- they'd have these things in the telephone book called Dial a Hit. So you just ring the phone number and it would just play the number one hit of the day. But I didn't know that. I would ring up and just speak into the thing saying, I am Maiden. I am. I thought it was I am Maiden. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I, I am Maiden. I am. And, and then for my ninth birthday, I got my first two speakers, yeah, stereo tape player. And my sister gave me peace of mind on cassette. Oh, mm.
so that was the first the first actual recording I had of them and literally that is almost the day the whole game changed because that was my new world like heavy metal and that fantasy sort of land that they inhabit that storytelling narrative you, you know comic book horror the whole deal it's I was all in because I'm a, like imagination that's that's what really fired me up and then you have the music which is as absolutely this perfect soundtrack to what someone like Bruce Dickinson who you don't realize when you're eight but you're literally listening to perfection like a, a perfect vocalist deliver a story in three or seven minutes that is compelling it's it's as good as it gets and I had that sense you know way later on in life that I was sort of edified that I knew what good good or excellent was at a young age the fact that they were still huge and kind of bigger than they ever were and so many people love them not only was I not necessarily alone in that but everyone recognized how valuable this band was it wasn't a flock of seagulls or you know like all the bands that were on the radio it was this total outsider thing that you had to dig to find but everyone if anyone that actually found that gold was was all in and it was a constant war in my family between my brother and myself between acdc and iron maiden he was uh -huh. acdc because he's slightly older and i was iron maiden and it'd be like bruce dickinson can sing higher than bon scott you know <laughs> he's not as good as angus young you know and yeah, yeah. just yeah. yeah just absolute fan and the the room covered in posters from i got a paper round basically so i could buy iron maiden records when i was 10 years old and i'd get my 15 dollars at the end of the week and i would ride five miles down to the shop the secondhand record shop and he'd have all the imports and stuff oh, yeah. so mm. i i had just I had everything, the 12 inches, the seven inches, the Jap releases, because this guy would just get them all in. He must have known that I would just buy whatever he got in. <laughs> so yeah. he'd just get yeah. it in. Yeah. He'll be down and he'll get it. And yeah. that's, yeah, just unbelievable. Supply and demand. Yeah, exactly. And just this absolute fanatic. And so, and it, I was just saying earlier that, that that's, that's where, like that sense of wonder with music really sort of manifested yeah. and it's like this is my world and this is where i want to live you know and it's directed yeah. my whole life i reckon because i'd probably have some bore, boring ass office job like like if that hadn't have gotten into me you know it's it gave the voice to whatever my sort of personality is and it's great unbelievable uh, i was immediately reacting to you talking about the imagination and the, the different worlds and I think that's what kept me with Maiden and kept me coming back to the band as well, that the rest of life is, you know, we talked about this with Blaze. Reality mm. is a little bit boring sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You, that's the nature of it. You need your yeah. escapes, right? And I think, uh, like, I think that people need to explore their imagination more. And you can do it through Maiden, you can do it through other ways, I'm sure. But uh, definitely, it's, uh, I think it's uh, one of the best parts about heavy metal oh. in general. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm. Escapism. Yeah. What do you do then for a living? I, I just want to ask. I'm curious. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now I work in like, um, like landscaping and maintenance and gardening and mowing. So I work outside. But that's my day job. Nice. And then I play in bands. Like I play in like a. I've toured Sweden once. And, yeah. Oh, cool. And yeah. and um, I play in a melodic rock band called White Widow, who are like an AOR, uh, yep. yeah, throwback type docking sort of band. And we've got like five records out. I, I've played on three of them. I play bass in that band. I'm actually a guitar player, but I play bass yeah. in that band. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, gotta listen to that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty cool yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. It's that mid eighties. Yeah, we, we could we could end the episode with a cut of that if you have the rights to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are they, what are they gonna do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> gonna do. That's the fact. That's the fact. <laughs> No, no one here will get this joke, but it'd be really funny because because we, we talked about this before we started recording. But when you when they asked what you, what you do for a living, it'd be really funny if you if you'd said like, "Well, I used to work with the, you know ceiling isolation, but then I had to yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 I got a job with a fire brigade." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
No, we talked about that before because 12 years ago, I spent some time as a door-to-door -door salesman in, in that very area in Victoria, in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> and it was this whole ceiling insulation thing. You can look it up because it's, it, it would take the whole episode to discuss, but yeah. almost yeah. as interesting as the early days DVD. Yes. <laughs> when, we get, when we get to I for isolation. Insulation. 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 Oh, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like warmer in the winter, colder mm. in the summer. That was the, yeah. that was the point. Obviously. Yeah. But you say clearly I don't know very much about it because I couldn't even say the word, right? No, so. no, you live too far, far up north or, or yeah. something. But yeah, okay. Cool to have you here, Ben. Very nice. You've been hey. a listener of the show uh, since like an early episode. Yeah. I think you came in oh. right at the start. Yeah. Uh, that, that The first episode I heard was Christian doing the Adrian Smith's Mm, good and start. That, that was it's as good, that's why I said it's the best seventy four minutes on iTunes. The other review because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it literally is just like this is pure like just that idea that I'm my age. I'm forty seven this year, and I'm listening to this stuff now. Like this this thing exists in the world that I can be at work and listen to some insanely talented Swedish guitarist play Adrian Smith solos. Yeah. In my headphones while I'm like, that's mental. Like that, I, that whole idea that that even exists is just like some weird alternate reality where everything goes right. <laughs> you know? mm. <laughs> Thank and you for so, that. Very happy to yeah. hear that. And I, I felt the yeah. same when we recorded it. Actually, I felt the same. It's like he used to be a good one. He was my guitar teacher when I was young, but yeah. only doing that episode, it also like um, restarted our friendship. So we've been talking more and. He, he, he's in on doing the live band thing. They made an wow. easy live band. And, you know, so <laughs> lots of friends through this podcast. It's a good thing. Yeah. It's a great, yeah, it's very yeah. fun. Mm -hmm. What about the topic? Early days? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I guess we should start in 74, 75 or yeah, something. I mean, like, I, like I sort of mentioned before, I hadn't really, I haven't done a hell of a lot of research here. So I'm kind of betting the farm on Henrik and Ben. <laughs> well, doing <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why we have guests too, right? Maybe, yeah. uh, I mean, Henrik, you've been fairly quiet yes. so far, so maybe you could give us a little starting point here. Yeah, I've like, been doing my research now while you've been talking. Take us back to yeah. 74. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, do we start with Steve Harris's first attempts at music, or do we start with Iron Maiden? I mean, because it basically is sort of a year in between them. I guess we mm -hmm. could quickly touch on that first year then, if we have something on it. What hmm. happened? He bought a bass guitar. He lived with his nana. Yeah, he lived, he lived with his nan. His parents moved somewhere else and he wanted to stay in London. So he moved in with his nan. And for some, I, I don't remember why, but for some reason it says he bought a Fender Telecaster copy bass. And I've never really seen the, the uh, evidence for that. I mean, there uh -huh. should be some kind of photograph or something, but I haven't seen it. Um, so it was not initially a P-Bass copy. No, it wasn't. I, it was something totally that. different. Yeah, and I've seen photos of him with a jazz bass as well, but I don't know if that's... I, I don't know if it's it's like Dennis Wilcox's time, so 77, 78, something like that. I mean, we could get nerdy on that too. The, mm. the strings he used, we talked about that in <laughs> Base of the Beast, yeah. you know, the, the flat, flat yeah, ones, Yeah, right? the flat one, yeah. Mm. Yeah, they were, as I've recalled, I've never even tried them, even though I play a bit of bass, but as <laughs> I recall, they were popular in funk and that kind of style, funk, yes. disco. Mm -hmm. uh, for a different type of touch. They have like a dull, thuddy, no top end. Um, yeah. Mm. And so when you're playing like that disco type of, that's sort of R&B thing, you mm -hmm. don't get all that mm -hmm. transient, mm -hmm. the, that top end off the bass. It's a much, it's like turning the tone control down and they have a really sort of slick feel to them. They're really smooth. They don't have uh -huh. those little mm -hmm. ridges on them. So it's a different, uh, when I found that out, I was like, oh, that's interesting. It sort of makes sense in us. In, because the way he plays, if he played with round wound, it'd be really mm. bright. The way he's mm. he's such yeah. an aggressive player. So, you think this happened by chance? That it was just you know in vogue at the time, maybe this this type of strings, and they, that was his first setup. Not even by choice, maybe. Yeah, he possibly. Yeah, happened possibly, happened yeah. to land with that in his lap, and then stayed with it forever. And mm. I mean, ironically, his tone is treble heavy. Yeah, but you know, you can always compensate, right? Compression and the slight overdrive and all of that, but that, that that's Steve with a bass. So he's got his bass, he's living <clears> with his nan. Uh, what's happening, Henrik? What's next? Yeah, and then he sort of decided to form a band with some mates. I don't really know. They were schoolmates as far as I remember. I don't know if Ben has any more uh, information on this. Because basically the first band was called The Influence, and they later renamed themselves to Gypsy's Kiss. And they were, as I understand, 
only just his mates. As you do. Four piece, right? No, no, a five piece, a five piece, yeah. Mm. The Influence. Mm. Well, not the worst name. It sounds a bit um, dopey, though. It could be, but I'm sure it was not when he, if if Steve was the instigator, I'm sure yeah. it was not because he he's never really had that kind of no. I mean, uh, not on no. his part then, no. for sure. He, I remember him complaining about uh, Will Malone puffing. Yeah, just puffing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. And then in our group, uh, like in the Swedish uh, maiden nerd group, that someone posted uh, Will Malone's solo stuff, and it was right in line with that. It's like psychedelic yeah, the, stuff. Yeah, the album cover. Yeah, absolute stoner, probably that guy. Mm. But not Steve, even during the Influence days. And I mean, the Influence, how did that connect to Smiler then? That's two different bands, right? Yeah, because Influence t- uh, changed their names to Gypsy's Kiss and they changed, the f- I think they changed the guitarist or something like that. And then uh, they sort of disbanded and Steve joined this band called Smiler. I, mean, I don't know if they were active as a band or if it was these two brothers who wanted to form a band and then Steve uh, started playing with them. There's usually a lot of uh, people seeing ads here and there in, in magazines. I don't know how it really works. But I mean, mm. really in the Influence and Gypsy's Kiss days, there were, they were playing embryos of Maiden songs. So it's, uh, I guess it's fair to say that that's where it begins. Yeah, yeah Rothschild and there was a f- uh, Innocent Exile, Innocent and Ex- Exile or something, I think it was called. And it was, it wasn't, uh, That's Endless Pit, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Innocent Exile, yeah. Something like that. I mean, when you started a band, at least when I started a band, it was you look through your your your, your group of mates, your friends, mm. for starts. But then it's like, okay, we don't have a drummer, so we also use the ad system. And this this was pre Facebook as well. Mm. Uh, it was on Helgon.net. It yeah. doesn't matter, but uh, you know, we found a drummer on the mm. other side of Stockholm, and I, I I bought a kit just to invite him. You know, yeah, mm. uh, he was actually on the show the other day. He he his laptop got stuck oh. in in. Uh, Update. So I recorded a separate show with the same two songs. So it's double. You know. oh, that's cool. That's <laughs> yeah. nice. But, I mean, uh, since this is released in the future, you already know. But it's mm. double episodes of Death or Glory and Deja Vu. Strangely enough. Mm. <laughs> but hey, so, so that's what we did. What did you do, Ben, when you started playing? How did you find the musicians? Uh, the, again, the same thing. Like your your, your friends. You know, I, I have a good friend of mine was, or who became a good friend was. Uh, my friend Earl Andrew, he's a guitar player, and he basically taught me. So, first song ever was "Battle Him" by Manowar because it's literally oh, song. It's, <laughs> it's literally four chords. But it's great. It's uh, it's um, it's fantastic, and uh, yeah. yeah. But I I had to move almost kind of like what Steve not not to compare myself to him, but I had to move <laughs> from Frankston to Melbourne to actually find people to really play with you know that was hard finding people who to play with in frankston that all the bands were sort of taken up so mm-hmm. unless one of those guys left you couldn't get in so i had to sort of move mm. move into melbourne to to find people to play with and then once i was there it was you know i've been in about 750 bands since so mm. yeah <laughs> as you do as you do and then, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, looking at these early days of steve then like uh, i took out the the family tree here, the official one. Mm. And uh, they say here in Gypsy's Kiss, we have Dave Smith on guitar, Paul That's... Sears on drums. I recognize that name. Mm. Uh, Bob Versical or something like that on vocal. Mm. And uh, Tim Watsit on guitar. Yeah, Watsit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's real. That's, uh, Tim Nash is his name. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so what's it? Uh, You've really done your homework. This is yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they they used to have a guitarist before him, which was Roy Middleton. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, I don't know if this is you know for two weeks or something like that, but it's uh, research has found the name anyway. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And in these days, they had. Uh, did they have any? This says seventy two, seventy three. So I guess no Steve songs at this time. Or I think this was. 70s, no, I think this is later. I think they did their first gigs in 74, so it, I'm not sure if they would have been playing, rehearsing blindly I mean, for so long. Again, this, this is not an accurate tree. I mean, it's been yeah, adapted yeah, somehow, but th- this one says Gypsy's Kiss, which also was the influence then, yeah. 72, 73, and then it says Smiler, 74, 75. Yeah, yeah. That's, what I've got, that's what I've got my I've got written down here. Mm. Yeah. Gypsy's, Gypsy's Kiss, I think he... he 
really just played bass in that band and they were more of a, a boogie band. And it wasn't that Smiler, though? Smi- Smiler, Smiler was, was a, a blues boogie band, I guess. Oh, that yeah. was the blues, but yeah. and that's, <laughs> yeah. But he started to introduce his songs, I think, in Smiler and, the, and then yeah. they said, that stuff's too weird. Yeah. Mm. And that would have been Innocent Exile, for example. Uh, mm. Yeah, in Smiler, they did play Innocent... I think they played Innocent Exile, or, I don't know, Endless Pit, some kind of version of it. Was there, was there any interview in the DVD with members of Smiler or um, Gypsy's Kids? Not really, right? No. I, no. I so. never had time to look at it. I thought uh, Dog, I was Samson. Dog Samson is in there. He's yeah, he, yeah, quite, he's, quite yeah but he's, yeah. he's Smiler, But of he's course, also yeah. in, in Maiden later, so mm. that makes sense. So this, I mean, this is still the early 70s. Uh, I guess they're trying to get things together. And then parallel to that, we have Evil Ways, uh, 72, 74, it says here, yeah. with, uh, with Dave and Adrian. Exactly. And that, that name, Evil Ways, is lifted, I'm sure, of uh, the first Santa, first Santana record. Yeah, it must be. A song called Evil Ways. Quite funny song about this guy. He's, uh, he has an evil woman because when he comes <laughs> home, the pots are cold and the house is dark. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So, yeah. <laughs> so she's got to change her evil ways. Yeah. That, yeah. that sounds aged well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just thinking Dio. That's, that's where Dio must have got his whole... Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of rock songs about evil women, you know, or possibly witches or yeah. whatnot. You know? <laughs> a lot of things she happening said, in the minds, you know. S- slash women that aren't interested in me. They're exactly. Yeah. evil. Exactly. Yeah. A young man, a young man's <laughs> view on the world. You better watch your step now, woman, because I ain't like those other men. That's Whatever right. that means. <laughs> Burning ambition. Yeah. Burning ambition. <laughs> okay. So treading along here, what do you think, Henrik? What shouldn't we miss uh, speaking pre-75? Uh, I don't know if there's that much. We don't have a ton on of, on that, you know. No, no, not. But I mean, it's uh, there are. I mean, the only the only thing that I've really been interested in in is what songs they actually played or had in some kind of form or another in at that time. And I mean, that that is uh, endless pit or instant exile. It's burning ambition. Transylvania should have come somewhere around this, and they even had a short time they had a version of it with lyrics, as it says in some books. Uh, Drifter was called Drifting. I don't know if they're out drifting with their car or whatever they're doing. But drifting, floating. Yeah, yeah, floati- yeah. yeah floating is somewhere around there as well. <laughs> Later Purgatory. Yeah. yeah, and there's a, a very mysterious song called Highway Road in Time that oh. have been uh, very... It's, it's, it's been intriguing me. And then I realized, I didn't, well, not realized, I read by someone who had, for some reason, had, an, had access to Bob Angelo, the guitarist from 76. Mm. And that mentions that this song is actually some kind of embryotic version of Blackboard Blues, which is really mm-hmm. weird. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. A song we didn't touch on, because I've been pushing these joke songs aside for a bit. But yeah. We are going to do them, so you listeners, don't worry. Mm-hmm. Everything is going to be done at some point. But, uh, okay, we are, we are in, these er- in the early 70 days, 70s yeah. days, and Steve, I know that he lived with his nan way up until Number of the Beast. So that's not going to change. But a lot of other things did change. Mm. I guess in this East End scene, they were playing local pubs. Carts and Horses is in there. Uh, I think they lived for a bit with their the, the lighting design, mega lights, Dave. Yeah, Dave lights. Yeah, 
Yeah. But they used to rehearse. He he lived in this old. In this old. uh, It's uh, vicarage or priory. I don't know something like that. I don't know the difference. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, What's the word? Um, uh, Where the nuns hang out. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Convent. A convent. Yeah, I don't. I, Is that I, don't what I don't know what it was. I, I, I mean, there's, there's a proper yeah. proper word for it. It was a proper, no. but I don't, I don't know. Anyway, he took that place over. It was some kind of tower by a bridge, I think, mm-hmm. somewhere in in East London. Yeah. And uh, I've always been jealous with that as I started bands because you know you can't afford a crew. You just can't. Mm. It's impossible. So I mean, <clears throat> the idea that this rock dream was so alive and that you had bands like Led Zeppelin hitting it big. Uh, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, and you could actually get a bunch of probably bums, but that's good enough mm-hmm. to tag mm-hmm. along with you and do this for free, just hoping that it would hit off, that you know, that it would take off, which it did. You know, so I'm guess I'm guessing Dave Dave Lights, mm-hmm. he's been properly compensated for hosting all those guys back <laughs> in the day, right? Yeah, and I think it. I'm, I'm sure there must have been a great deal of people seeing that Iron Maiden and Steve Harris in particular actually invested a lot more into the band than other pop bands did. I'm sure yeah. because they wouldn't have grown the way they did in the East End if it weren't for that, if, if they hadn't had that special something, I think. Yeah, they speak, speak a lot of that. Like you, mm. you get 15 uh, quid for a gig, 10 of it goes to the smoke machine. Yeah. <laughs> mm. That kind yeah. of thing. That, that, that was something I noticed is that this, the absolute sort of business mind that he had or just very organised, not the yeah. typical bunch of sort of musicians kind of just having fun and goofing off in a sense, like playing music and enjoying it. He had this the, the focus from... Yeah. From, you, you read those little notes and what he says and, you know, I he forgets the words. He's got, oh, he's got to work on that. Like just those, it's, he's so organized mm. and that's what it actually, that's one of those things that it actually takes to succeed is yeah. the no ac- the no accidents thing. You cover all your bases and it's just, it's obviously his personality and the fact that he was so, um, you know, just intent on doing what he was doing. He wanted to sort of see it through to whatever it was. And yeah. that, that blew me, that really blew me away there because it's like, I struggle to write anything down. <laughs> yeah. Like this guy wrote everything down, and yeah, lots of journals and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. and we've seen some cuts from them as well. Uh, and I think the attitude may come from the football thing. Like, if if I'm gonna quit football, I'm not gonna do yeah. another thing. I'm not gonna join the Stoners. Let's say, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This yeah, is yeah. early seventies. This is early seventies. So I'm not gonna get just to become a dopehead and and live off welfare or anything like that. I mean, he came in with the same professional athlete attitude and brought it right into music mm. yeah that's that's a really good point yeah, you, yeah it's you just that focus and the determination to yeah n- just keep moving keep moving and, and also a bit of ruthlessness yes. members being kicked out i mean i don't know about you guys from bands have you ever kicked someone out of your band at any yeah, point it's, it's brutal yeah it's, it's hard it's, yeah. it's never it's never comfortable <laughs> It's so hard. I mean, the normal thing to do as a coward is to start a new band with yes, every member but one. And even leading back to that, it's like you realize that all these bands that break up after one guy, and you think, that's why, because no one had the balls to kick someone out. Mm, pretty, it's, much, it's, pretty much. It's like, oh, no, just start another band, you know. It does take a bit of balls. I mean, I don't mind being the bad cop sometimes when I'm determined and I know what's going to be good but yeah. it takes balls it's mm. hard to do this and it's uh, emotionally hard yeah you yes. may like this person personally and he's not up to speed in um, the delivery or the stage antics or whatnot and uh, also on the other side you may not like this guy but he's awesome at playing so you're losing a, uh, an engine of sort mm. yeah like half of it is the hanging out like can you get along with this person and if yeah. you driving three hours to a show yeah. or even just yeah. the way they might interact with bands or other band members or even when something goes wrong in rehearsal they throw a big fit about it it's just like oh this dude just we could we we would say someone like that is hard work they're just hard work mm, yeah. And, yeah well th- there's a quote i can't remember who said it i, th- I think it might have been arsenio hall but the idea is that um 
you know, a lot, a lot of times someone might not, you know, have the technical chops, and but you can kind of you can kind of work around that more a lot of times than you can someone who's just not easy to work with. Because yeah. like I think there was a like you know he's the quote being that everyone will forget a bad joke, but no one will forget a bad attitude. Yeah. So if yeah. you know if you're yeah. if you know mm. that's a good quote. Yeah. I've made my career out of of being a good dude with average skills. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it works. It works. You know, yeah. and especially if you know your skills skill level. And I think that was also a hindrance for me in terms of topping my bands let's say you know uh, removing the weak links i always thought that hey how good am i at actually playing i'm not sure you know well, so it was it was hard to do that because then you have to you know stand up to the fact that you're not in the same league as me which oh. could be hard mm. to claim you know with the nordic self uh, criticism it's <laughs> it's tough <laughs> it's tough I, i've never uh, kicked anyone i can say uh, i wish i did sometimes as a quick aside and i won't get the first time I played in London, we played with a band called Degreed, who are Swedish. It's a guy named Ro- uh, Robin Eriksson, Daniel Johansson, um, Mikael, I've forgotten his surname, they're, like, but they're fantastic. And we walked in, they were opening, and we walked into the gig and they were already on stage. And Robin is an amazing singer and bass player. And they're all that Swedish virtuoso thing, which... We don't we don't have that here. Like we we have a totally <laughs> different thing. Well, we just have Yeah, it should be right, mate, no worries. And um <laughs> but I remember walking into that gig with Enzo the guitarist, and he's a great player, like excellent guitar player in White Widow. But I Robin's singing and he's basically like Kip Winger, like this guy, amazing voice, uh-huh. yeah. playing mm. bass, nailing it. And I turned to Enzo and I went, Oh, we're fucked. <laughs> like how we gonna follow this up you know yeah everyone has keyboards and guitars and i'm just like i'm just trying to find eighth notes what am i Mm. doing (laughs) yeah yeah that's the thing what about you henrik in your band history have you had any member disputes or of course of course there's been and changes and there's been difficulty finding finding people as well because I've had I've been very determined in what I want to do and then then it comes to a situation where as you said about the early days of Maiden that you want to do something but you can't pay anyone but you want people to do exactly the way I want I want them to sing like I imagine this you know and who am I going to force to do that it's really it is it's sort it's of like tough. a give and take thing that always has been difficult for me when when I've been doing my own bands that where i write and contribute music to it's been easier yeah. when i when it's bands where i've just been the drummer because then then i can easily more play along and let others do the creative disputes right, right. <laughs> yeah all right well i mean I, I also obviously have had uh um you know experiences in that uh arena a little bit uh not not as much as because uh, i've kind of for a while i played the same gang quite a while and i had sort of problems with the, the singer we both kind of wanted very different things mm. and that didn't end up working yeah. very well and the whole thing kind of made me gun shy of doing that again and i didn't really do anything music wise for like about 10 years and uh, now i'm just sort of dabbling in it a little bit more again with uh, actually with uh with mr henrik here yes. among others yeah good drummer uh, mm. I, work drummer yeah, I work with him yeah i work with him he can play yeah. and uh, <laughs> now i remember actually i remember yeah. because i have friends in bands that are you know coming up they have labels and stuff and i'm a pretty okay producer i want to produce with them but then we are friends and they're thinking like why would why do we have to pay you and the reason Mm. is that uh, i told them it's not going to be as good if i do it for free i can do it for free but i can't tell my girlfriend i'm going to spend seven hours doing this thing for free Mm. but i can tell her i'm going to spend seven hours and we're going to have a good dinner afterwards you know, mm. so it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, you need a bit of that, uh, fuel to, to yeah. keep and going. And, and I think I, back in the day it was different because the fuel was the dream and the dream is yes. a bit mm. done now, you know, it really is rock is dead, I guess, you know? Yeah. No. It, 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 it's literally like, you're not united by that common cause and there are so many other distractions, but it's a thing. It's just getting back to that charging for your work. It's, they won't value it as much if you don't charge them. It's 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 essentially not worthless, but it sort of is worthless. So yeah. you've got to put a value on it. Yeah, I mean they want, and also also I want valued mm. as much. You know, I mm. will I will give less yeah. effort because yeah. there's oh, no ex- there's no excuse to spend all that time. I I might do something more productive or something more 
correct uh, yeah. than help my friends out you know it's yeah it's hard to start a band i guess that's the the quick way also, to say kind of, it's kind of sad that sort of like almost any kind of creative kind of uh output people who don't really do that kind of stuff you know w- would assume you'd want to be able to do it for free because you enjoy doing it right which mm. makes which makes no sense i mean there's uh you know i have a friend who does um or used to do play at pubs and do kind of troubadour kind of stuff and people would invite him to after parties and then say, oh, bring the guitar. And he says, uh, no. And they go, oh, why not? He says, well, so, you know, what, what, what do you do for a living? Should we go off and do that for free, for, you know, for fucking three mm-hmm. hours? That, you yeah. know, they, of course they're going to say no, because that'd be ridiculous. Yeah. And so, I, you know, that's... I remember a friend of ours, uh, Friedrich, uh, he, he did, like, a few concerts, Copperfields, for example. Mm-hmm. Ben May, mm-hmm. even I met him, because he booked a lot of shows here in Stockholm. And he he had always struggled with not being able to pay the bands. Mm. And he would tell them, like, this is your interest, you know. You don't ask to get money for snowboarding, which I think is... Uh, not the perfect analogy, not really, because snowboarding you do it in front of no one. You're just well, unless you're prof- if you're a professional snowboarder, you probably want to get paid for it. I imagine it's not yeah, good. but that was his point. But at the same time, like if you're snowboarding on a novice level, you're not even putting on a show. But if you're yeah. rocking on a novice level, at least you're putting on a show. Maybe you would want some compensation. Maybe you want some transport. And uh, I I know Frederick, and I know how he worked. And of course, that was not part of the budget. You know, he could no. pay a sound sound guy. That's it. And there was no cover charge, for example. On that place you know so there's many right. things that need to add up to make this kind of novice band activity even possible yeah well and it is that thing of living with your grandmother or your parents you have the that helps probably you don't have the responsibilities to to pay your bills or anything like that and so you can do it when you're young you've got that 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 time you can yeah. in a yeah you can put the time in and not see a loss you know yeah. trading it for something else so it's uh it's a yeah. That's the it's a, the province of a young man, you know, or young people. Sorry, yeah. I should say. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. No, definitely. Now, now it's just an uphill slog. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like this uphill part of life. You know, yeah. I, I enjoy this more. Young twenties. That's a confusing part of of a yeah. man's life, at least in in my life. You know, but yeah. uh, if if we're heading back to Steve here. Uh, yep. Are we kind of we cli- climbing into the origin, at least, or the the initiation of Iron Maiden? Mm-hmm. I am a maiden, or you know, it's, it's those Brits. Yeah. The Brits have a fun way to say it. Like uh, they don't say Iron Maiden; they say Iron. Iron. Mm-hmm. Iron yeah, and maiden. We, we we would say that too. Iron Maiden. Mm. So it's yeah. like yeah, yeah. No, we wouldn't say Iron Maiden. We would say Iron Maiden. Yeah. Iron. Yeah. <clears throat> Australia was a confusing part of my life in terms of English pronunciation. Mm. Just everything <laughs> got mixed. Yeah. <laughs> everything got mixed. <laughs> well, we've got like a we, we would call it like a yeah. A bastardized version of English, in a sense, we uh, prison English, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> colonial English. You know, yeah. everyone that got sent here only had a vocabulary of about seventeen words. We just make do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but then again, you're thriving, so something went right. Well, we we, we started. It's, um, it's all the loot. Immigration, immigration. <laughs> other, pe- yeah. other people came in and helped us. <laughs> so. Yeah, a good way to do it. Uh, consulting, mm. you know. <laughs> So, okay, when was Iron Maiden started, Henrik? When was it? Uh, the popular idea is that it was, uh, was it Christmas Day, 1975? Uh, yeah, but I've heard that's made up, that it was That's always been dis- also been disputed. I think it might actually have been du- a bit, you know, a few months earlier, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't really matter. It's nice to have a sort of tangible date to something because it didn't really start to happen a lot of stuff anyway until after the new year. So I was going to say, probably often when you kind of start something like this, you don't have a fixed kind of, this is the day it happened because you don't, you don't, you have no idea that like, you know, like, you know, 40 years from now, some, someone's going to be talking about it, trying to ex- figure out what date it happened. You don't know no, that. You're, you exactly. Know, you know, historical you know, days, people look back as like historical, don't tend to feel that way when you're in the middle of the night. Mm. So, you know, you're not going to, so that's probably why it's, you know, there's no exact, you know, moment when it happened. No. Yeah. But there, there probably was, but, you know, they don't know when that is. So they touched so. on in the documentary that uh, Steve wanted this, uh, initially wanted this uh, Wishbone Ash style mm. dual guitars. Um, cool band that we listened to last time, me and Eric listened to it, was in uh, Loch Ness Tavern. Yeah. Uh, and you can hear a lot of Maiden in that. A song like Blowing Free, uh, mm. the title is reminiscent of Running Free, and yeah. it's still, it's also a shuffle. Like, dunk, yeah. dunk, dunk, dunk. <laughs>
So you know, it's not it's not too hard to find the origins of the of the music here. But uh, uh, what about Dave Murray? He was in early, right? Uh, I think in the actual DVD he tells the story of how he was headhunted for Iron Maiden. I think he. I mean, he wasn't in the first Iron Maiden lineup, but he no. He must have been. Well, he was a friend of Dennis Wilcox, wasn't he? Yeah, that's um, right. I think I think that's that is right because it was like my mate's a really good guitar player, and mm. yeah, that, it's the uh, and then Steve obviously sees him play and then or hears him play and then he goes around and they start showing Steve starts showing him the songs and he's like, "This is awesome," you know, like mm. something, yeah, something. Um, I mean, it really is. Although he was obviously being influenced by all these bands, he really took it in another direction with that. Just the, I suppose, the energy that he had. That and they call it the punk thing, but just that, the fire that he had in him, just to push right. everything. It's so yeah. pushed. You know that you watch those early sh- Ruskin Arms, even yeah. um, Rainbow. Rainbow. I mean, we can go into this later, but the difference between Clive Burr and Nick McBrain, you can literally lock it into one thing. It's it's like one guy plays on top of the beat and one guy plays, he sits back. Mm. And and it lets Harris run out in front with uh, with Nico. Clive and, ha- Clive and Steve are locked in, absolutely locked in. And... Um, Nico, he sits. He just sits back. He's got more space in his groove, and it's a different yeah. type of sound. It's not better or worse. But when you hear the Clive stuff, Hammersmith, it's like, mm. wow, this guy yeah. is. This is a force, an absolute force. But whether that would have translated to um, big arenas five years down the track, who knows? Like it's a different. It's almost mm-hmm. like a not a Motorhead type thing, but yeah. so in your face, you know. We talked about that in um, in the Children of the Damned episode. That there's mm. quite a few locking ins in between the drums and the bass in Children of the Damned, mm. uh, Clive style. And uh, yeah. Eric, uh, our our bass master on this podcast, mentioned that uh, it's a different vibe uh, when Steve and Nico plays together, where Nico and Steve are not really doing the same thing as much. Mm. He's more soaring above it, you know. And Nico's behind, like he's sitting back on the groove. Like mm. Clive yeah. plays on Clive plays on top of the beat, and Nico sits back. And he always has that jazz swing sort of feel to his playing. And it, whereas Clive is literally just all muscle, ready to go. And but swing too, I would say. You know, it's a different yeah, he, swing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's 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 aggressive. It's like an aggressive style of drumming. Whereas Nico has upper a, arm, a, you know. A swagger. Nico has kind of like a swagger to his playing. Yeah, and it yeah more artistic. The, more artistic. Yeah. What would you say, Henrik? Yeah, man, I, I totally agree about. I mean, Nico is he's a, a he's a, his style is so laid back, but he's also all over the place. And I think that's one of the reasons why he doesn't, you know, lock in with Steve in the same sense because he sort of plays the feel. He plays everything. Whereas I think Clive might have might have been instructed a bit more by Steve in some sense and uh, sort of then followed that to really get them to lock in because that's going to yeah. be a really that's a really interesting thing and I guess that's I mean that, that's a whole episode in itself but I mean what happened when <laughs> when Clive got into the band after Doug Samson it tons of stuff oh, yeah. happened it's we've been on that a bit yeah. and I I've, I also I'm apologetic towards Doug Samson mm. he didn't have the template you know no. because mm. if he had heard 
how Clive played, I'm sure he would have played closer to that. Yeah, definitely. With similar energy. But he had mm. only heard, uh, you know, Bill Ward and all those guys. That's what he had heard. Mm. And mm. that's not really the style you want to go for when, you, when you're in Maiden. But how could he know yeah. at that point? Yeah. Solid drumming, but, you know, his version of Ratchild, you can tell that it's not happening the same way as, as Clive's version. No, exactly. also like props to Clive for being so precise because he was not in the band for a long time before the debut right no he wasn't yeah. I mean it's just a few weeks yeah. or a month or so I guess kind of a machine that guy and there's yeah. also that's the most emotional part of the whole DVD for me that's the part where I could shed a tear is when Clive says that he listens to number of the beast and he's like that's me that's that's you guy that's that's you boy yeah. you know mm. and yeah, you know with the it. fact of his he illness did. and everything how it turned out you know that gets me a little teary-eyed because he's yeah. just so happy to have been on Number of the Beast. Mm. I, I wonder, I, I've, I've always kind of wondered, like, what, you know, obviously the song wouldn't have ended up happening the way it happened, but if you take, like, where Eagles Dare, I wonder what Clive would have done with that intro, or how he would have done it, if you're, you know, or something like that. Because that's, uh, you know, when I, whenever I think of Nico, the first, that's the first thing I think about, where Eagles Dare. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. kind of wonder what, you know, just a completely different kind of style, how that would have sounded. Right, and they have uh, very different fills, very different yeah. uh, styles of filling. I think that's the biggest difference mm -hmm. between them, because mm -hmm. Clive's fills are on the meter, taka 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 kind of yeah. thing, or whereas Nico has more of that floating vibe, you know, you know, I always think of just he always just I just think of a swinging jazz drama with Nico. It's that they kind of go pa 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 pa, and yeah. they, mm. they, they, they yeah they have that 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 swagger to them, and they're relaxed in a sense. Whereas mm. Clive is just you can just see his big biceps, you know, big arms, and he's yeah. he's leaning right into it. And it's mm. it's a, yeah, it's uh, uh, unreal to watch just to see in that context, doing this sort of uh, analysis of them, really what the differences are and it really, and see how that sort of rolls out over time with the development of the, of the band. It's mm. amazing. It really is. Impossible to choose a favorite for me as well. Yeah. Love them both. Mm. They're so yeah. good. You know, when I listen to Killers, I'm thinking, ah, you know, Nico can't touch this. But then, uh, when I listen to Seven Son, we listen to the isolated track from oh. Cl The Clairvoyant. Oh. What the hell? That was so cool. <laughs> yeah. No one can touch that. Mm. No one can touch that. Well, that's incredible drumming. Mm. Yeah. Incredible, speaking incredible. of imagination, invention, just so much fun to listen to. So, yeah, I'm well, not, well, not going well, to we, we also listened to, uh, I think we did Can I Play Madness as well. And uh, it's so interesting how you can hear the enthusiasm in, in just the isolated yeah. drum tracks. Yeah. Whereas we jump a few years ahead to like, you know, No Prayer and that kind of stuff. It's not really there anymore. <laughs> no Prayer still has cool drumming. Uh, I think it's... Oh, yeah, sure. But you sound, you can really hear someone enjoying the fuck out of every fucking little yeah. note. And you don't get that later on the same way. I, I think it's mainly Virtual virtual 11 that suffers a bit. Uh, it, it's that uh, intensity of, of sort of creation. Like, I, it's that arc the bands have where they kind of don't have anything to prove anymore. And they might have a lot of money. And they might have kids. Like I reckon that even someone should do a documentary on bands after they've had children. Like yeah. when the because <laughs> because even that just changes the person and maybe it their does. intensity for creation and things like that. Like that the fire maybe dulls a little bit or something. But yeah. when they've proved themselves and they've got they've scaled the mountain, it's almost like once you get to the top of the mountain, you can breathe out and that. Everything after that is kind of almost like a descent. Like a, it could yeah. be a slow descent in a sense, but that energy and that passion and the fire that it takes to assert that band in the world—that it's a whole different sort of um, yeah. state of being in a sense. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think that's why there was also rumors uh, around Seven Sun era uh, because Steve brought his family along in his separate bus while touring mm. and a lot of people saw that as the end of maiden and of course they brushed that off and saying no it's not the end of maiden i just want my family around and i'm yeah. not a big party guy but uh, you know in a sense it was the end of the 80s maiden 
happening yeah. right there. I don't think I'm not going to blame Steve's family for that. You know, obviously not, but it was crumbling a little bit. So interesting topic there. But we're getting ahead in the timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. really. Yeah. 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 So we're like, yeah, we need to throw ourselves right back to to the seventies again. And uh, where should we go? Yeah, the seventies. Yeah. yeah. Which which year should we land on now? We should land on seventy six, and we should talk drummers, and we should talk about Ron Rebel Matthews. Uh, and uh, it would be really interesting because I haven't heard any recordings with him. I know they do exist, but I mean, I'm not friends with the people who were there back in the day, so I haven't heard them. Uh, but it would be really interesting to hear because a few years ago, uh, Thunderstick, Barry Graham, who played the drums in, the, in a later incarnation in 77, he released snippets of songs from from a rehearsal tape from 77 mm. and it was really interesting to hear because you recognize the songs but they sound totally different and you know and you mm. it would be so interesting to hear the complete songs and hear them with another other drummer or other musicians really yeah, yeah. we haven't even heard this play, guy play in any context right? i don't think it's i Samson. have yeah, yeah, I mean, Samson, Thunderstick, Thunderstick, Thunderstick I've heard, but yes. the, guy, the other guy, the, what was his name? Uh, Ron, uh, Ron Rebel. Ron Rebel. Matthews, Ron Rebel, yeah. we haven't heard him, right? No, I don't think so. Is he in the, is he in the documentary, the blonde guy? He right? is in the documentary, actually, yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm. He looks a bit uh, rough, he has a very British smile. A Brit yeah, you know? British yeah, smile, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a very there's, there's, good way of putting it. <laughs> there's, a few, there's a few of them in that show, yeah. even, even, yeah. for the people, even for the people that could probably afford it. Mm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it adds to the feeling, and I mean, look at Bruce as well. He didn't correct his teeth. Uh, yeah. Richie Blackmore I, all of a sudden I, has perfect teeth. Mm. Richie Blackmore had this very British ugly smile. <laughs> now it's perfect. Ozzy Osbourne, perfect Wait teeth. Wait a minute, Richie Blackmore smiles? <laughs> rarely, rarely. But as, when he does, you can see the perfect dental work okay, has yeah. been done there. And the same for Ozzy, but not Bruce. He still has this, uh, you know, the th teeth thrown in there. Yeah. <laughs> Public health. It's... um. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, he doesn't it's, need it's, that. I, I love all that. Like that to me, that's what makes like bands like them and ACDC. That's why they actually transcend yeah. sort mm. of culture in a sense because they. When people talk about authenticity, that is it. It's literally that. I, this is who we are, and we don't give a fuck. You know, yeah, like much, yeah. we're here to do the job, and we're going to do the job. And that's 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 the main thing. We're not going to try and play the game. It's mm. it's it's so good. It's so good. You know. Yeah, I would say Blackmore is authentic. I would say Ozzy is authentic. But uh, both yeah. of them mm. maybe spend too much time in LA or something like that. So yes, now the yes, teeth yes. are perfect. You know. <laughs> Whereas uh, Adrian Smith in LA, we got to watch out. Yeah, I mean Adrian <laughs> has always had this LA kind of style. You know, he, yeah. he, that's how he looks. He wears the blazers. <laughs> He wears the scarves mm. and, you know, what, I mean... The leopard print. Yeah, the how leopard, leopard, leopard print. Yeah. How could you not love everything the, that guy does is lovable, I think. Mm. The snow no wolf. No criticism. <laughs> yeah. What again? The, the snow wolf in, like, Seventh Son. Oh, the, yeah. the knots. Oh, yeah. The, 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 he has these knots of rope or something hanging from his vest, right? Yeah, and mm. it's like all that... Um, I'm trying to think of, like, the Maiden 88. He's got, like, the... It's like all that sort of furry type... It, it, we used to just call him the Snow Wolf. It was, <laughs> Snow Wolf, yeah. Cause that works. Because like, he's, he's so cool. He's the mm. dude, you know. Like. He's the dude, yeah. And speaking of that, we have uh, Urchin as well, uh, ranging all the way from 74 to 77, uh, really trying to make it work. Mm. I don't know anything about the other members. Uh, maybe one of you guys know. We have Maurice Coyne on guitar. We have uh, Barry Tyler on drums, uh, Alan Levitt on bass, and David Hall on vocal. Mm. I know nothing about these guys. I don't know a lot. I have the album that was released 10 years or so ago. It was a compilation of recordings. I don't know if it was rehearsal recordings. It was really interesting to hear, actually, because I only, I only ever knew the the snippet that's played on 12 Wasted Years. 
Oh, she's a she's roller. A roller. Yeah. Mm. She's Another no one lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, solid rock song. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is this is uh, Adrian, but of course we have another member that needs to be mentioned in this in this whole thing, and that would be uh, quite brief entrance of uh, Stratton, Dennis Stratton. That was mm-hmm. late too, right? Seventy uh, nine, and then out already in eighty. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean he wasn't Am he right? was in the band for ten ten months or, some, or something like that. It wasn't long yeah. at all. I think a good five years older than the other guys as well. So yeah. he already had been on big stages and he was really picked in as this pro guy. You know, I've done that in one of my bands as well. We, we brought in a third guitarist just because he was better. Mm. So we thought that <laughs> this could, this could, you know, this could color the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of worked too. Sometimes it's nice to bring in for me as a guitarist, someone that is better than me because then I'm, I'll be on my toes, mm. you know? Yeah. And, and, and it helps you, you do lift your game. Like it's, a, yeah. it's, and, Dennis is great. He's a great guitarist. And Steve says that in, in the DVD as well. That, uh, what a good guitarist. But they had, he said that this was a case of pure musical difference uh, with the whole Queen thing, uh, harmonized vocals. Yeah. He listened to, uh, what was it that he listened to? That, uh, George Benson. That was not yeah. favorite. Yeah. Uh, George Benson, the Sophist- Eagles. Eagles yeah. so, sophisticated. And, and it's that thing of <laughs> really what I would, I mean, this is a theme that to me keeps coming up with, Steve and then when Rod's in the band, it's really they talk about the like the plan. Like Rod had a plan. Yeah. Steve had a plan. So they've got this they've got this direction they're heading in. And all they can see is with someone like Dennis, maybe in an album's time, would really give him grief Mm. trying to assert Mm. his songwriting or whatever. And that can really then they could be have bigger shows on the line and more things to worry about and him leaving or causing grief can derail it. It's like, he, that's a potential problem. We need to sort that out now rather than, same with Clive. It's like, if you don't get your act together, there's too much at stake here. Mm. Paul Diano mm. is this kind of the same thing. It's like, you're a liability. We can't have any liabilities when we're doing this. ACDC is the same. It's like, if we think you're going to be an issue, they'll just basically give you the boot. And mm. it yeah, is yeah. it is ruthless, but it's also like I've worked too hard to do this. You know, it's uh, it is ruthless, but I'm also jealous that I, I wish I could have been mm. that level of bad cop sometimes. <laughs> you know, you know. Well, I think I think really we, yeah. because it's not like it's it's been turning into gold when I've kept a member either. Yeah. You know, usually it just yeah. sivers out in sand anyway. So why didn't I stay decisive? You know, but yeah, I'm, I'm not Steve. I'm not Steve Harris. I wouldn't go as far to say being bad cop. I'd just say you know being maybe, if anything, smart cop. If someone's not being able to <laughs> yeah. do their job, you're not being you're not you're not being a jerk by telling them you can't. Well, if they're not doing it, or they're yeah. like, you know, have problems that lead them not being able to do it, uh, then it's you know, it's, it's obviously no fun to have to kick someone out of that kind of situation. But if it's a business, then it's you know it's a business. Mm-hmm. You if it's a regular company, if it was a fucking a food store and there was yeah. a, a pl- employee who who was you know throwing up into buckets. Because you know, you know, not able to do his work. Maybe you wouldn't let that person continue. Because right, mm. right. I've been fired. Yeah. I've been fired a couple of times, and uh, you know, I've <laughs> always like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't fired from that. I wasn't fired. That was a success story on my part, mm. but not that was on the a whole fi- thing. Sorry, that was an, that was an actual <laughs> so wait, fire. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so yeah, you, exactly. you look, you look, you look back on that as a success. No, but <laughs> I mean, when I've been, <laughs> when I've been fired. I mean, I've been in the live music business and in the restaurant world, and that's a kind of. Uh, you know, it's not, uh, there's no, let's say there's no workers' rights in that. Mm-hmm. You get fired, you get fired immediately. And then, yeah. of course, it comes as a shock to me. But when I look back at it, I'm always like, that wasn't really a good match. The sound guy they got after me, that was a good match. Mm. He fit there. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I got the opportunity forced upon me to look for something else, which in the end was better. Mm. So I think, yeah. you know, these kind of raw decisions sometimes is beneficial for everybody. Everybody involved. I mean, that's at the hindsight and the maturity in hindsight that you can see that these things kind of lead somewhere. And, and same with Maiden, you can see that they almost always were taking a step forward with whoever came in, yeah. especially once they, once they regrouped after 77 
when the whole thing sort of fell apart. But there's one line that Steve says, because I write down these interesting quote where he says, things get in the way and you can't let them get in the way. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And, and it's like, that is just, that's the, him in a nutshell, literally. Decisive. Mm. And that's the, and he talks about the guy that, you know, his girl, he didn't show up to rehearsal. And he, so he goes around, he says, what are you doing, mate? Why are you at yeah. rehearsal? Mm. Tell me right now. And in front like, of her. In front <laughs> Tell of me right her. now in front that's of her. Like, and then he says, oh, I don't know. And it's like, sorry, bud, you're out. Mm. And he Why adds, how, how can you work with those people? Yeah, to Steve, it's, just, it's not even a, it's not even a, you're not even going to try you know, to work with that yeah. because you can't work with it. And I wanted to touch on this, speaking of these member changes, the vocalists we have to touch on mm. as well. The pre-Paul Diano vocalists. Uh, yes. I, I count them to four Am I right? Pre, what do you think, Henry? Well, in well, Pre Diano is only two. I mean, if it, in uh, only Maiden, two, yeah. But Paul Mario, Paul Mario Day, then it's Wilcox. Wilcox. Yeah. Yes. That's yes. it. Okay. Yes. I thought yes, it was my, four, but yeah. I mean, there's so many around. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's guitarists where they just literally yeah, yeah. like mm. oh, true, man. True. But yeah, yeah, so back to the back to the singers. Yeah. So Paul Mario, apparently a good singer, but a poor stage man, a poor front man. Yeah. That's what they. That's what they've said. Mm. And Wilcox. The other way around. Yeah, he was uh, yes. apparently very show, showy in a way, and that sort of suited the concept. But yeah, with the fake blood and the dagger in his mouth yeah. and no, uh, that sort of stuff, shock rock. But he, yeah. his vocal abilities aren't really up to up to anything good, really. So can we hear him? That's there is a clip I don't think I've ever on did. YouTube something called "Iron Maiden: The Bandwagon Years" or something like that, where they play. I think it's Prowler with Dennis Wilcox. Okay. Uh, Maybe he could do that because Prowler, pretty much, I can sing. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to look at that. Yeah. Now what's anyone know what he's doing these days? Is he still around? Dennis, Dennis Wilcox, yeah, he, he sued them. So I guess he's sitting somewhere counting nothing <laughs> because, he, I, because it, <laughs> it sort of didn't go anywhere, I think. The, well, no. who, can afford the better, who can afford better lawyers? Yeah, exactly. exactly. And these days, these days, he can't touch Dave Murray's girlfriend anymore. No, <laughs> it's completely off limits mm. at this point. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Dave Murray lives. Dave Murray lives on Hawaii. He's a millionaire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't yeah. touch that. <laughs> Eric, are you able to have a look at YouTube and see if you find the song because you've been able to play it in the yeah. chat situation right. yeah, before? Can, yeah, let's let's yeah let's see if I can find. It's a good resource. YouTube. It's too good almost. It's, dude, so it's, the, wor there. it's the worst. It's, <laughs> it's the, the worst. worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Iron Maiden 77 tapes, the w Dennis Wilcox days. All right. Oh, it doesn't sound amazing, but that's probably... It doesn't. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean I'm not talking about the quality of the playing either at this point. I'm, yeah. I'm talking about the actual just sound quality. Yeah, but it's, it's just, you know, yeah. a tape recorder in the room. 70s so. bootleg, you know, what, what, what could you get mm. from that? Some dude rolls up with a reel-to-reel cassette. Yeah. Way slower as usual. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, that's, yeah. that's all right. That's all right. Mm. It's actually pretty cool. I, mean, I, I thought it was going to be worse. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah. hear that before. As usual, it's 25 BPM lower. Yeah, or, it is. Or something and like that. that's actually yeah. uh, 
Ron Rebel Matthews playing the drums. So oh wow, mm-hmm. oh there we go. We've heard him too. Yeah. Very interesting, but you know, it's Prowler. Yeah, it is. Definitely. Definitely. And you can hear that he's not a great singer. He's singing out of will, as we say in Swedish, uh, rather than good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, dude, dude, that's that's my whole approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that, I'm, gonna, I'm, a, I'm a willful singer. <laughs> that's, that's good. I'm good. I I'm not a singer. No, I sing backing vocals. Uh-huh. My, uh-huh. And, but um, but the, I'm actually doing a lot of demoing at home, which I'm attempting lead vocals on and Boy, is that a me learning too. curve? Yeah, it's, me too. It's, uh, it's so it's hard. awesome though. It's I've learned I've learned more in the last year than I've learned in the twenty years prior. Just listening to myself. Mm. And, uh, but it's an incredible instrument, actually, the the vocals, because you can't see it in front of you. You're not like I'm on mm. fret seven or something. So you really yeah, have to yeah. be musical to be a vocalist. But for me, I think also a lot of it is about uh, the, the actual balls of it. And I think yes. maybe Wilcox had that at least. You I'm know, sure. He well, he's got I'm Will, a singer. Will, Will yeah. gets in his yeah. name. <laughs> I'm a singer. Mm. You know. Yeah, and that's the thing. You, yeah, perfection is not is not necessarily. It's well, it's almost the not the enemy of rock and roll, but it's not necessarily its best friend either. Like it. Uh, to be continued. Hey everybody, future Jonathan here. I'm just going to say this was a long one, so I've decided to chop it up into two or three parts. Let's see. Anyway, see you next time. Up the irons and skull from the north.